My friend just bought a new truck. It's got a passenger side airbag. That thing costs 500 bucks to put the bag back after it goes off. But it's got an on-off switch. So now you're left to decide whether the person you're giving a ride to is worth the money. Ron and Anian. I heard him pulling into the parking lot, and it, it, it sounded like, for lack of the, a better way to put it, I could just hear the theme to Sanford and Son playing in my head, you know. There was a guy on TV the other day, he was talking to his damn car. It was the Infinity commercial. He goes, CD player on, then the CD player come on. He goes, windshield wipers on, there they go too. I do that to my truck all the time. Check engine light off. The car doctor. The labor rate's insignificant. I said the technology is insurmountable, and that's what you have to realize when you're when you're picking a mechanic welcome to the radio home of ron and anian the car doctor since 1991 this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair if your mechanic's giving you a busy signal pick up the phone and call in the garage doors are open but i am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900 and now here's ronnie Hey, welcome. Time to start your engines. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. That number is 24-7. I'll do it again, 855-560-9900. Give us a shout on the Car Doctor hotline. We'll talk to you and help you solve your car problem. More information at cardoctorshow.com, as well as podcasting at TuneIn, iHeart, and iTunes.com. All places you can go and pick up Car Doctor podcasts and uh, take it with you wherever you want. And naturally, we're streaming live live at cardoctorshow.com as well. So uh, we've given you a bunch of different ways to take it with you because we realize just, you know, the 80 plus affiliates we're on. Sometimes you're in a spot where you're not on one of those affiliates, but you can uh, catch the show. And judging by the numbers, um, you are catching the show. I want to talk to you about the Subaru that I worked on this week. And I guess it is the repair of the week because it was kind of interesting. It was a 2010 Subaru Outback that had a battery failure. The battery was going dead at random. And, um, uh, you know, just just going dead. And it was sort of a mystery because Mr. Cooper, Herb as we call him, um, I think it's an Outback, Outback or a Legacy, whatever it was, it's a 2010 Subaru. And it was an issue with the battery failing at the least opportune time. As a matter of fact, and the car is fixed, I gave it back to him just yesterday on Friday. And I said, I am going to tempt the 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 gods of discriminate auto repair failure by giving you the car back on fourth of july weekend just to prove to you that it's fixed he'd be driving along and he'd park the car and he'd leave it outside the house overnight and come back the next morning the battery would be dead battery was only two and a half years old maybe three at the outside wasn't really that old of a battery but for whatever reason it just went dead Went through the charging system. The charging output was fine, and the car always started. Or it, let me say it like this: If it started, it was good for the day. You could run the car all day long, and no battery would run all day long if the charging system wasn't working. Went through and did a draw test. And when we do an electrical draw test, we're putting a meter in series. We're we're disconnecting the negative battery cable, and we're putting a meter in amperage mode to measure current flow out of the battery. The industry standard, forget what the numbers, forget what the milliamp means, it's just widgets to you, but it's we want to see less than 50 milliamps or 50 widgets, all right? And most cars start out high, and this one was no exception. It started out at a little over 550 milliamps, and within 20 minutes time frame, it dropped down to under 22 milliamps, widgets, all right? Let's, we don't have to be that technical. You just got to know it's got to go from this to that. It's under 50 milliamps. 
gee, it's not a draw. It can't be a draw. So I decided, you know what, what if this car, well, and actually that was the first time we worked on it. We let the car go, came back three days later with a dead battery. Did another draw test, no draw. So I've got a car that breaks, not when it's in my presence, and, you know, which is always just so much fun. I mean, an intermittent, where do you go? Did a draw test, but I set up a meter to do a draw test, and this is what made me think this was worthwhile to talk about. A lot of techs out there have digital volt meters, DVOMs, that have a min-max record function. So it will show the minimum, it will show the maximum reading of whatever it is you're measuring at that particular time. And the interesting thing about min-max record function is the meter will stay on as long as the battery lasts. Now, depending upon what it's doing, a 9-volt battery can run 400 hours. Don't ask me how I know that. And it's really a, a great way to capture intermittence. So first night in the shop, I left the Subaru out. I hooked up an amp meter, uh, put my DVOM on in amp meter mode, and put it in min-max record, walked away. Came back the next morning, and now I'm able to look I'm able to look at what this car did overnight. And what it did was basically drop down to 22 milliamps and stayed right there. Never saw it waver. Never saw it exceed 22 milliamps as, as it was you know, going into its failure. Now, the trick with this is <clears throat> I set up the meter, waited for it to time out the 20 minutes, and then once it went under 22 milliamps, I want to make this clear, once it went under the 22 milliamps, I then hit min-max record so that I always saw I always saw the maximum. I shouldn't see higher than 22. Oh, maybe I, I was expecting to see it, you know, maybe it would have gone up to 30, 40, but anything under 50 milliamps, um, I would have been okay. Came back the next morning. It was fine. 22 milliamps. She was, now what am I going to do? You know what? Maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Maybe it's not the car. Maybe it's the battery. So I put... The DVOM, the digital volt meter, on the battery. Put it in min-max mode. And waited for the battery to level off. Started recording. Walked away. Came back the next day. Came back the next morning, and the battery, the meter on live setting, was reading 12.2 volts. Just about where I had left it. But when I looked at the record function... Remember what I said, in min-max mode, most meters will not turn off which is a real pain in the tail, it will continue to function for the life of the battery, it showed that the battery dropped down to under 10.5 volts. Look at that. I've got a bad battery. I've got a bad battery. All right? Probably a cell for whatever reason. And it only showed up under a long-term period of sitting. Put a battery in the car, clean and coated the terminals, did some PCM resets. It's done down the road. That car is fixed. And the point of all this is, you know, we start to, as technicians, it's it's our job to think outside the box. One of the nicest compliments my daughters ever paid me was when they talk about life lessons from dad, they said, you always taught us how to think outside the box because you always say there's no car that can't be fixed, which I don't think there isn't. I don't think there is a car that can't be fixed. It just takes time, money, and effort. And, you know, is it worth the effort, time, and money? But... You can fix anything. How would you attack it? And that's what technicians need to be aware of going into the next generation of vehicles. You've probably got tools in your box that will work on a newer car. 
How well do you know your tool? How well do you know what it can and can't do? I see it all week long. I'll, I'll watch technicians run onto the snap onto the Mac tool truck, and not that they're bad, but I've got to buy this, I've got to buy that. How about we take something very simple and basic and, and make it work and do what it's supposed to do? I bought a flasher, a 552 or a 52 series old two-pronged flasher the other week. And Danny said, where's this going? What car is this going? Oh, it's not going on anything. It's going to become a tool. And he says, it's going to become a tool for what? And we were working on a car with an electrical. It was blowing fuses at the time. And I wanted to try something. I haven't done it in a while, and I wanted to see if the theory still works, which I expected it would. You know, it had been a while since I had done this type of repair. And took the fuse out for the circuit that was failing, used the jumper wire, put the breaker across the fuse. So the circuit would load, it would short, the breaker would pop, or the, the flasher would pop, and the circuit was getting turned on and off, on, off, on, off, on, off. On, off. Took a compass. Walked down the side of the car. Started walking around outside the car where I knew the circuit went. It was for exterior lights. And started following it down the length of the car. And as the current would flow, the the, mag, the magnet and the compass drove the needle crazy. Spin, 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 spin. When I got to the point where the break in the wire was, the compass stopped spinning because there was no current flow after that point. It wasn't affecting the magnet. Danny thought he'd seen me do black magic. He was like stunned. He goes, where the hell did you ever learn that? I go, dude, that's like a, I, that's like 40 or 50 years old. That's real old school. And he said, that's why you didn't buy the tool on the snap-on truck. I said, no, but the tool on the snap-on truck, because they had a short finder tool. I said, it made me think of it. I said, I got to give him credit for that. But I said, I bet we can fix this another way without having to buy another $500 tool. So... I guess as we close out this segment and move on to the next, I guess the moral of the story is start thinking about the tools in your box. Maybe you can save yourself some money and just use the technology against itself to fix it. I spent uh, 7 bucks on a flasher. I bought a heavy-duty version. And uh, $3 on a Boy Scout compass at the local hardware store. And um, I've got a short finder in my toolbox for under 20 bucks. And uh, as far as the Subaru, well, it's, uh, let's see, 316 Saturday afternoon. I don't know what today's today. Oh, today's July the 1st. Um, phone hasn't rung. My email hasn't gone off. As far as I know, Herb Subaru is still rolling down the road and starting each and every time. How's that for technology? 855-560-9900. I am Ron Anany in The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. <laughs> Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's uh, kick the garage doors open and go grab Jonathan. Well, we're not going to grab Jonathan. We're going to pick up the phone. Concord, New Hampshire, 05 Chevy Silverado. Jonathan, you're there, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. I got a 2005 Chevy Silverado. I've owned it since new, done all the maintenance on it myself. Never never been to a mechanic before, so I know the truck pretty well at this point. It's got 287,000 miles on it. Okay, wait, wait and, uh, for it. Wait a minute. Wait for it. So that means it's just broken in. Go ahead. Absolutely. absolutely. Yep. You can tell my wife that, too. Yep. 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 Um, so it's developed a little bit of a rough idle. It feels like a misfire almost. Um and uh, it's developed in the probably the last 10,000 miles. It doesn't do it when you first start the truck. You know, it's in a, almost a high idle a little bit for the first minute. Then it comes down. 
and um, it won't develop it until probably five minutes into running. And then it's a little intermittent. doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's there. And uh, it's very slight, but it's certainly there. And um, so I, I've pulled a bunch of info here from my scan tool. And uh, I don't know if you received my email or not with that info. I can read it to you if you want. Or, no, re- uh, yeah, read it, read it to me. Tell me what you got. So I got um, absolute throttle position um, over the course of five minutes is what I took this on. I had 6.3% to 1.2%. Okay. My mass airflow sensor was running 6.5 to 2.92, I assume, grams per second. Yep. Uh, My intake manifold pressure was running 35 to 31 kPa. Uh, My... Let's see, bank 102 sensor upstream is reading 0.86 to 0.05 volts. My bank 202 sensor upstream, 0.795 to uh, 0.725. I believe that's wrong. I, I might have put a... Yeah, that, that, that doesn't sound like enough range. Yeah, that, I, I don't think it was because I've watched these O2 sensors on the graph, and they run all the way up bottom to top and back down. So I, I think that I made a mistake when I wrote that down. Okay. Um, and uh, let's see, my O2 sensor downstream bank one was 0.87 to 0.035, and O2 sensor bank two downstream, 0.81 to 0.07. Where's, uh, where, where was fuel trim in all of this, Jonathan? Uh, yep. So I'll read fuel trim off to you. Let's see. Long-term fuel trim bank one, 1.6 to negative 0.8%. Okay. Uh, long-term fuel trim bank two was 3.1 to 0.08%. Okay. Short-term bank one, 1.6 to negative 6.2. Uh, short-term bank two, 3.1% to negative 55 percent. Uh, my RPM in that five minutes ranged from 589 to 502, so you can see it's very slight of a drop, and uh, my volts were reading 13.0 to 12.60. Um, so those are, the, those are the numbers I pulled for you. Um, the other stuff I can tell you that I've done so far, trying to take things off the table as far as possible culprits. Uh, I cleaned the throttle body, which I had never done. It was relatively dirty, not crazy, but I I cleaned it and uh, got it nice and clean. That didn't make a difference. I ran Berryman's fuel treatment through it uh, for a carbon deposit. That didn't make a difference. Uh, Checked for vacuum leaks. Uh, I found a cracked vacuum hose at the throttle body, uh, but it wasn't cracked uh, past the point of where it connects into the throttle body. Uh, I cut it out anyways, that bad section stuck it back on, uh, made no difference for me. Uh, I did attempt to do plugs. I couldn't remember the last time I did them. I assumed somewhere around the 200,000 mile mark, they're AC Delco Platinums. So I want to take that off the table. Uh, I replaced them with Autolite Platinums, which was a bad idea because all I got was misfires after I did that. And, I and you know, this is, the, this is the conversation about people asking what kind of plugs to use. I, you know, I kind of like OE plugs in vehicles today. Whatever the manufacturer used is what I like to use. I see heat range issues. I just don't see direct correlation. It seems like 
you know, Autolite's a good plug in certain applications. You put Autolite's in a GM, for example, it seems like the heat range doesn't correlate or transfer over, and it, it, there are issues. Um, I, so, yeah, def- certainly I saw that as an issue. So, uh, in the meantime, I put the uh, current AC Delcos back in the truck, at which they actually looked fine. They're platinum plugs already. They actually looked real good. Um, but when I went to put them back in, uh, I had a boot that was loose, one of my spark plug boots, and I said, oh, there it is. Maybe I'm getting a misfire. Maybe the computer's not picking it up. There's there's my issue. So I tightened that boot cl- or the spark plug clamp up inside the boot, put it back on, went to take it off. I actually tore the wire right out of the boot. I, I clamped it too tight. So I went down, AC Delco, new, new wires, replaced all of them, put them back in, no change at all. So I've taken the wires off the table. I haven't taken the plugs off the table as of yet because I replaced them with the same ones I had in there, but I'm still not getting a misfire on them. Uh, I did grasp the upstream O2 sensors for a while and watched them, and now, every time, they don't fall completely all the way down once in a while. Sometimes they'll hit midpoint on the graph and then come back up. So I'm not sure if that's what they're supposed to be doing or not supposed to be doing. Uh, but that is some anomaly that I did see and, and I wasn't sure about. And lastly, I did do a fuel pressure test on it. So fuel pressure test, key on, 55 PSI. Uh, I left turned the key off, left it for 10 minutes. I came back. It was right around the 50 PSI mark still um, is what it has held to. And then uh, I did a running pressure, which was 61 PSI uh, at idle and driving as well. And I did a flow test, which I got eight ounces out in 45 seconds. And I guess the fuel sample showed good. It was, it was nice and clear. Yeah, okay. I'll tell you what, Jonathan, sit tight. Let me pull over and take this pause. When we come back, we'll talk. We'll dive into this a little bit deeper. i got a couple of more things I want you to take a look at. You've, uh, I'll tell you what, you almost have a job at the shop. You keep this up. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We'll be back right after this. back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're talking to Jonathan up in Concord, New Hampshire at 855-560-9900. Jonathan, you're still there. Yes, sir. So good review, good data, good hunting. Um, let's talk a little bit, though. This problem, for everyone else, refresh their memory, this problem is a little bit of a rough idle that occurs at random, correct? At, at random. Uh, it's only at idle after it's warmed up for about the first five minutes it starts to come on, and uh, it happens Sometimes, and sometimes you'll you'll drive the truck around for half an hour and sit at stoplights, you'll never have the issue. I wonder, what, and you have no fault codes, correct? I have no fault codes. I've looked. No pending codes and no triggered codes. And I certainly got a misfire code as soon as I put the auto lights in. Uh, it, random misfire is what I got at P0300. So, so it has the ability. I wonder what would happen if you disconnected the upstream O2s and ran the truck. We can we can certainly try that. I'll I'll pull those out. Um, well, you don't have to pull them. You don't have to pull them out. Just disconnect them because here's what'll happen. Obviously, it's going to set fault codes for O2s, but it's going to it's not going to allow the O2 to influence the idle of the vehicle. In other words, it's going to stay running in open loop. It's going to think the O2s aren't reporting ready. 
Okay, I got you. So it's when it's uh, in warm-up mode, right? It's only going to run off of uh, wide open um, or open loop, I'm sorry, and it's not going to let the O2 sensors influence it until they heat up. Is that correct? Correct, because an O2 sensor has to reach a certain temperature. It's looking at it's looking at voltage swing of the O2 to decide is it valid. It's also looking at coolant temp to say, you know, hey, it's 20 degrees out. I shouldn't expect the O2 to start working. It's 40 degrees. It's 60 degrees. Hey, the engine just hit 110 degrees. That O2 should be there by now. Absolutely. I I follow you there. Take the influence out of the upstream sensors, uh, and uh, and that will see if that follows the the problem or not. Right. So that's that's one thing I want you to try. The second thing I want you to try is key on engine off with the scan tool after the car's been sitting more than eight hours. Yep. What do the coolant and intake air temp sensors read? Do they read okay. or do they read the same? They won't read exactly the same. They should be within ten degrees of each other. Okay. Just want to see, you know, are, are we balanced? Are we starting from a correct position? Okay. Right? Uh, yeah. Are, are those? Yep. Okay. Number three. This is a five point three liter. Yes, sir. Into uh, this has a distributor. Uh, no distributor. No, it's a two thousand five. Okay. So it's individual coils. Okay, gotcha. Um, let's look. You got to get a wiring diagram. In two yep. th- in two thousand three and four, the the main ground for the PCM was actually at the back of the block on the lower uh, um, intake rail, for lack of a better okay. way to describe it. I just want to make sure we've got good, clean, solid grounds for the PCM. Okay. Wherever they are, you're going to have to follow them out through a wiring diagram and make yep. sure that none of the grounds are frayed where, you know, what once was a 16-strand wire is now a one-strand wire hanging on by dear life. All right. I'll grab a wiring diagram, and I'll track down all those uh, grounds, and uh, we'll see, see where we're at and also do the other two things. Last thing. Yes. Uh, this, should have, this should be applicable as far as intake plenum gaskets. Have, okay. you, have you ever replaced them? I have because uh, I had the knock sensors fail. Okay. So uh, in order to do the knock sensors, you got to pull the intake right. manifold. So yeah. the, uh, yep. So and it has. And I also ran around uh, with carb cleaner looking for vacuum leaks, seeing if I get any rise in RPM. So I was definitely working around the intake manifold. I never, I never could get the RPMs to come up anywhere around my vacuum lines or any of the intake stuff. What I would love to see you get, and you're listen. As far as I'm concerned, dude, you're a better technician than half the guys I talk to on a daily basis. Basis. I, would, I appreciate that. I, I would love to see you get a bottle of propane. Okay. And OTC makes a propane enrichment tool. Just go Google search propane enrichment tool. Okay. It's, it's going to be like a little, um, you know how a plumber's, a blue plumber's propane bottle has that brass fitting on it to light the flame? Certainly, I own one, yep. Okay. So now it's going to look like that, but it's going to have a yellow hose with a black knob, and you have the ability now to flow propane in a controlled environment. Okay. All right. And I want to watch the O2 sensors. Watch the O2s. Watch the fuel trim. Um, Okay. Take a piece of brake line. Yep. Cut it as long or as short as you want. Beat the end of the brake line over into a V, so you now narrow that massive, you know, that three-sixteenths line or, or, or quarter-inch line down into a slit. Yep. And now you've made yourself a very fine-tuned, boy, I can direct my propane exactly where I want it to go. Okay. And have it in a controlled environment. Carb clean is good. It's old school. And the thing I, okay. don't, the thing I don't like about it is it sprays. You know that. Absolutely. It sprays, yeah, absolutely. It's, it sprays everywhere. It's an uncontrollable burst. 
So at least now with the propane, you know, where's it going? Last, all right? When it's, I gotcha. the, when it's together, um, I wonder what would happen if you enriched the fuel mixture a little bit with propane. Yep. Just feed the mass airflow sensor a little bit of propane. You know, is the engine looking for fuel, or is the engine, is this a spark-related or some other problem? Okay, so it's, yep, I, I see, I follow you there, too. All right, you know, if there's, a, if there's a way to enrich the mixture somehow, propane will do that. Okay. Uh, the other thing I could go back and look at is, what kind of scan tool are you using? Well, I'm using, a, you'll laugh at me, I'm using, they call it an ELM-327. It's a Wi-Fi module. It just plugs into your OBD2 connector, and I run an app on my phone called Dash Command. Okay. And um, it is pretty extensive for $10 or $15 investment in the whole setup. You can get uh, a significant amount of information out of it. Um, so that that's what I'm using. I'm not sure what you got for uh, other readings that I could go after. Well, I was going to say, when's your birthday? Why don't you go out and buy, why don't you go out and buy yourself a scan tool? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you would enjoy it. You really would because something that would be really invaluable for you yep. would be the ability to look at mode six. Okay. We've, we've, we've talked about mode six. You've heard me talk about it here on the show. Um, yep. Just like, you know, the, the methodology on how a computer decides whether or not that vehicle has a trouble code, Yes. it's looking at data and statistics. Yep. Mode 6 is the machine assembly language or the binary language of that data, and okay. it, it interprets it into simple English. You know, you're smart enough. You could go out and buy – you could go buy Bernie Thompson's tool from ATTS out in uh, – uh, where's Bernie, Nevada or New, or New Mexico? Just um, Google search Bernie Thompson and look okay. at eScan. Okay. All right, it's probably a thousand bucks. You'll go wild with it. Uh, you know, it'll do everything from a running compression test from the wow. OBD two plug. Or I'm sorry, a cranking compression test from the OBD two plug. Yep. To help interpret Mode six data in plain, common, everyday English. Sounds great. All right. Uh, you need a laptop to go with it, but you know that's another yep. excuse to go buy something. So <laughs> it's, you know, boys and their toys. All right, and it's uh, it's all good stuff. So take a look at all that. Um, obviously, if you know, I don't know how good your notes were in this session, but if you want to hear this again, you can get out to the website, cardoctorshow.com. We'll have this podcast. This will be hour two. You came on right around the uh, 20-minute mark at the top of the hour, and you're going to run until the 20-minute mark to the top of the hour. You were the bottom half of the show. Um, you could probably clip this and uh, listen to it over again and just, you know, just make sure you caught everything that we talked about. I'll give it a, I'll give it a listen and check all the things off, and we'll uh, get back with you. All right, we'll go from there. Good luck to you, Jonathan. Thanks, Ron. Have a good day. You too. Happy hunting. Um, you know, there's a guy. I wonder what he did for a living. I should have asked him. Uh, you know, because if he's a typewriter repairman, he's in the wrong field. 855-560-9900. Typewriters, Tony. They were those big metal boxes, keys. Yeah, remember typewriters? I know you're a little old and your memory's faded, but uh, Tony's looking at me and goes, what the heck's a typewriter? Before computers. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. By the way, did you get out to Facebook and see my Toyota Camry video? You will see it's a little sideways because we had some technical issues. I had thumbs arima, uh, as Danny's going to be called now. He was running the camera, and we kind of got it turned sideways. But it's still legible. You can still kind of figure out what it's about. But it's a very interesting example of to put an alternator in a 2008 Camry 
Well, I had to tell the customer, I've got to pull the front bumper and take the radiator out, something you're not used to hearing every day because this sure isn't your 63 Chevy Impala anymore, Dad. Um, But uh, definitely worth looking at. And then we did a post-repair video showing the bumper back on and exactly where the new alternator went. um, Just interesting stuff, but that's out on the Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor Facebook page. Let's get over and talk to Larry in Albany, New York, 70 Plymouth Roadrunner. Beep, beep. And uh, some questions on oil. Larry, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, thanks for having me. Love your show. Thank you, sir. Um, so basically, I've got a I've got a seventy Roadrunner three eighty three four speed. Cool. Um, drive it on the weekends, weather permitting, up here in the Northeast. You know, it doesn't go out in the rain, doesn't go out in the snow, doesn't go out once the salt hits the roads. Um, when I bought the car, it was it was done. It's been basically everything on the car has been redone except the electrical system. So you know, it takes modern fuel and all of that. Um, my question is this, when I bought the car, the guy I bought it from was using, uh, Valvoline VR1 SAE 50, uh, traditional oil, not synthetic. Why, why such and a heavy I've viscosity? Had, um, not sure, but that's, that what, that's what was in it. And, uh, when I changed the oil, just, uh, for continuity sake, I used the same oil. It doesn't leak. It doesn't have any drips. It's not burning oil. It's not using oil. But that's what was in it. Um, so, again, you know, I drive it weather permitting on the weekend, take it out a half hour, an hour, whatever. And during the winter, I keep it running. You know, I'll start it up. I run some uh, some duct work out the, uh, from the exhaust out the back of the garage. Uh, and I'll run it, you know, 10, 15 minutes every week, you know, just to keep it going. Uh, so my question for you is, you know, what – because that, that, to me, that seems like a very, very heavyweight oil. So what's, what's the best oil, in your opinion? I know you uh, – you always issue the uh, benefits of Penn's oil. So in, in the case of this uh, this old 48-year-old big block, you know, as far as uh, weight and, and brand, what do you suggest? Um, yeah, I think in an everyday application and a majority of applications, I think Penn's oil's got it going on. But I think in your case, you're, something, you're asking for something very specific, older, um, what I would consider a vintage hot rod. And I would, mm-hmm. take, I would take a real careful look at driven racing oil. All right. I've used it from time to time in various hot rods. Uh, it used to be Joe Gibbs racing oil. Okay, and it's not that it's not that I need the term racing. It's just that I've read the reports. We've actually interviewed a couple of people from uh, Driven Racing Oil, and I can't think of the young man's name that is there on tech support. It's camshaft or or something. I, I for the life of me, I can't recall. It's been a while. But this guy's a walking univac in terms of, you know, oil viscosity. He's got an oil engineering degree. He could probably, if you can get him on the phone on tech support, um, you know, he could probably explain to you what viscosity to use and why. I just don't see where SAE 50 is correct. Uh, you know, to You're me, right. it sounds too thick. But the nice thing mm-hmm. about Driven is it's formulated and they actually have, I think, HR4. You know, they have a bunch of different levels. I think HR4 has zinc additive in it, and it's, you know, kind of what we what we would consider old school hot rod oil. All right. Right, right. Uh, you okay. know, it's it's just a matter of picking a viscosity. But, you know, they're on the web, drivingracingoil.com, and I would sit and talk to them and, and pick their brain. There are others out there. They're not the only ones. Um, but I can tell you I've dealt with them probably the better part of six or seven years. They've always been straight up with me. I don't feel like they're trying to sell me anything. Uh, you know, they're just there. They kind of get it that it's an older car, that it's somebody's pride and joy, and just, you know, it's not a commuter vehicle. It's like, let's take care of it and make it work. 
Um, right, right. So right, right. I would I would probably go in that direction. Sounds good. I certainly do appreciate your help. All right. So let me know how you make out, Larry. And if I, you know what, Larry, send me an email, Ron at cardoctorshow.com. And okay. I'll go back and look through my notes. I've got to have his name somewhere. And um, this way you can talk. I always like to let people talk to the front of the horse because talking to the other end sometimes uh, creates an issue. Right on. All and right, I'll sir. send you a picture of the old girl as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> have a good summer right. cruising, man. I'll talk to you. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. I'm coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini, the car doctor. 855-560-9900. One more time. 855 855- Five six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's twenty four seven toll free number. Also with a messaging service on it. I've got Tom Ray standing around twenty four hours seven days a week, saying hi. This is the car doctor radio show. Please leave a message. So we keep Tom busy because his wife really doesn't want him at home anyway. She doesn't really like him, and um, you know he's there. So uh, you can leave a message and get on the show next week when we're live Saturday afternoons two to four p.m. Um, you know, kind of go from there. Uh, going back to the previous call, Larry from Albany, if you're still listening, if not, I'll put it in the email. I just remember what it was. Uh, you you want to try and talk to Lake Speed Jr. He is a certified lubrication specialist at Driven Racing Oil. And I, I remember it now. I had never heard that term before. He was a certified lubologist, which, you know, you, you think, what the heck is that? But, yeah, that's what Lake Speed Jr. is. And, boy, can that guy talk oil? That guy can talk almost as much as me. Well, not quite, but you get the point. And, you know, it's it's funny because we just had a call about oil. We just got an email about oil. Hey, Ron, I live in Connecticut, and I'm wondering what oil would be good to use. You know, it's funny how one call generates the next. Um, I'm wondering what oil would be good to use in a 63 Ford with a solid lifter cam, and what oil would you use in a 75 Ford with a hydraulic cam? Both of these engines are V8s, and they are basically stock, not high performance. Thanks, and I do subscribe to your podcast, Vinny in Connecticut. Um, Vinny. Uh, you know, here we are again, DrivenRacingOil.com. You've got two older vehicles. The 63 Ford with the solid lifter cam will clearly need an oil that's got ZDDP, which is the uh, zinc additive. It's a critical anti-wear additive in motor oils that's needed for older vehicles like that. Um, helps keep them going longer. And uh, the 75 Ford, maybe it doesn't need it as much, but it could benefit in other areas, so it wouldn't hurt at all. Get yourself out to DrivenRacingOil.com and take a look at that and uh, see what that does for you because, uh, you know, you're looking to take care of these older vehicles. I I guess part of what amazes me is, you know, we look at these older vehicles and we're we're kind of grateful to be able to still get oil for them. Um, You know, it's I guess we'll always be able to get oil for older vehicles, uh, you know, but I guess the newer cars, we won't be able to get chips. So it's 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 going to be interesting. I, I talk about this all the time. I think about it all the time in my head, like, where are we going to get the parts from? Um, thank God for older cars. Hang on to them while you still can. Well, that about rounds out this hour of The Car Doctor. Um, Life with Ronnie, as we like to call it behind the scenes. Once again, thanks to my executive producer, Tom Ray, my board operator, Tony Atwood, Anthony, Big T, and once again, Jeff Firestone, associate producer. And I'm Ron Anany and The Car Doctor, reminding each and every one of you that mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.